0: Father, we thank you so much. We have built our life upon you and it is being built continually upon you and with you. And with that comes the knowledge, the information, and the revelation you want to give to us today, not only for our good, but also that we may be prepared and thoroughly equipped for the good work you've called us to do both in the house of God as well as in society. So we ask and pray that as we open up your word, that you will open up our hearts, you will open up our minds, and you allow us to hear and to perceive and to grasp and to understand the truth behind prophecy and the visions that you've given Daniel to seal up but yet now you have revealed to us. We pray this, God, for our good and your glory and all God's people said together, amen. 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 Well, anytime we attend an event or some particular um, uh, activity where there's going to be a function or maybe a performance going on, uh, it is customary for them to give you a handout as you come through the door. Right. They will give you a handout of that particular event, and some people call it a bill if it's like a play. Some people call it a program. You may call it an agenda, but it simply has all the different themes that are going to take place during that performance. All the different acts or all the different uh, events are going to take place in that performance. They will have it there on that particular handout so that you may know what all is going to be entailed in this particular program, right? And they will have it also in chronological order. Okay, So they don't have all these vents just sporadically throughout the handout. No, they place them in chronological order so you know, okay, this is going to be first, okay, this is what's going to happen next, and this is what's going to happen next. But ever so often, they may even put a time next to it, okay? They may put a time next to it. We're going to start this at 7 p.m. Then we're going to do this at 7.25 p.m. Then we're going to do this at 7.38 p.m. They may put a time there to let you know what time each of these events are going to take place. Now, it's not normal, it's not usual today to see times next to those particular activities. And that's because we have now determined you got to be flexible with your time, okay? Because everything is not going to happen according to your timetable or your timeline that you have placed on that agenda. You may not get started on time because you have some late arrivals. Or one act perhaps took longer to go through than you thought it would. Or intermission was longer than expected. So you know we all have to be flexible with our time because it is rare that we will be on time for everything. Well, not true with God's agenda, okay? Not true with God's program, okay? The end times also has a timeline, okay? The end times also has a timeline or an agenda or a program or a sequence of events, and God will be on time Every time, okay? As we said before, God is not moved by time. God is not moved by clocks and calendars. He's moved by his purpose. God resides outside of time, so therefore he's not dependent on time, okay? However, there are certain times when God does and will apply time, okay? There are certain times, and from time to time, where God will apply time. For example, Genesis 6-3, when the sins of man reach the heavens and God says, I've had enough, I'm going to destroy the world, I'm going to destroy mankind. He says this in Genesis 6-3, my spirit will not strive or put up with man forever. I'm not going to strive and put up with all this forever. No, and he gives a time. He says, for man shall be 120 years. <laughs> God gives a time limit. God gives an expiration date. God gives the time when the end will come. So he says, my spirit is not going to strive with mankind forever. Therefore, the lifespan of man is going to be 120 years. They will have 120 years to get things right, 120 years to repent. If not, a flood is coming, it's gonna wipe them all out. He applies time to the end of their particular time. Well, in the same way, just like God did it with the first end, the flood, God does it with the second end as well. Just like God applied time to the first end, 120 years. He applies time to the second end as well. What God is going to show us today, God is going to give Daniel a timeline, okay? A sequence of events, but actually the time when those events will actually happen. It even includes an intermission, okay? This particular prophecy that we're going to study today happens to be one of the most greatest or uh, the greatest prophecy of all the Bible, okay? And the reason why this is known as the greatest prophecy of all the Bible is because this prophecy has a pinpoint accuracy, As we're going to discover, this particular prophecy that God is going to give Daniel has a pinpoint. Point accuracy. And so our next installment of our series, The Sealed Revealed, this is part three of that. We're going to simply call God's Divine Timeline. Okay? God's Divine Timeline. Now, let me bring you up to speed for those of you may be visiting with us or uh, you missed one or two of our um, messages before. Daniel and all of Israel or Judah, they have been exiled from their land, Jerusalem, into Babylon, okay? God has allowed the enemies of the north, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, to come against them, to defeat them, and to take them out of Jerusalem, out of their land, the promised land, and into Babylon where they have been, okay? Okay? During that time, God gave Daniel the power to interpret dreams and visions. And so that's what he's been doing. He's been interpreting the dreams and the visions of the kings of Babylon. Okay, But now, or as we discovered last week, God gave Daniel his own dreams. God gave Daniel his own vision, and what Daniel visioned was these four beasts that come out of the earth, or the Mediterranean Sea, and these four beasts, we said, represented the four world powers that would rule the known world, okay? And we even saw the extension of the fourth beast we call the beauty and the Beast. Because this is referring to the little horn or the Antichrist who would appear to be a beauty to many. But inside he is actually the beast. Okay, that is what we have discovered so far. So in chapter eight of Daniel, uh, two years later, he's going to get another dream. He is going to get another vision. This time he envisions a ram with two horns, one longer horn than the other. And this ram with two horns is going to fight this goat, this male goat, with one horn, okay? And while they are fighting, the ram with the two horns is defeated. The goat with the one horn, his one horn turns into four horns. And from those four horns, a little horn pops up, okay? So we don't have time to go through all of that detail, but if you read through Daniel chapter 8, you will discover that that particular dream and vision is all about the middle two kingdoms, okay? The Medo-Persian Empire and Greece, okay? Daniel was living in the first kingdom, Babylon. Daniel then received the vision of the last kingdom, Rome. But now in chapter 8, he gets a vision of the first two kingdoms, the Medo-Persian Empire, and Greece. That is what that particular vision is all about. And when you read, some of you Bible scholars who read ahead, and y'all read a little horn in there too, that is not the same little horn as in chapter 7, okay? These are two different little horns. Remember what we said last week. Before the Antichrist comes, you will have many little Antichrists who come. Okay. And this particular little horn that comes up uh, in Daniel chapter 8, it's not the Antichrist, it is an Antichrist. And many theologians and Bible scholars I believe this is antiochus antiochus was a ruler who came against the jews came against god's people he defeated them, and then he went into the temple of god he erects a statue of zeus he then begins to sacrifice swine or pigs on the altar of god in god's own house okay Obviously something that no Jewish person would ever do because swine was an unclean animal. But that's what this guy would do. So he would be a prototype of the Antichrist. Because if you remember what Jesus said, Jesus described what the Antichrist is going to do at the end of days. And it's similar to what Antiochus did. The Antichrist is too going to go into the house of God or the temple of God. He too is going to set up the abomination that causes desolation. He too is going to do these things. And so this little horn that you read in chapter 8, he is simply a prototype of the Antichrist that was mentioned in chapter 7. Okay. So anybody who was confused about that, who read on, I just wanted to clear that up for you before we start today. All right. All right. Well, what we're going to talk about today Is found in chapter 9. In chapter 9, in chapter 9, we find the divine timeline, okay? Let me say that again because I did that on purpose. In chapter (laughs) 9 is where we find God's divine timeline, okay? (laughs) It is in Daniel chapter 9. So go with me to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 before we look at this. In verses 1 and 2 of Daniel 9, it says this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Hazarus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the book's the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish, here it is, 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Okay? Now, Daniel and all of Israel have been held captive in Babylon. Okay. Babylon has been defeated. Now the Medo-Persian Empire is ruling and Daniel and all of Israel are still there in that kingdom. Okay. They've been away from their home, Jerusalem, for all of this time. But while God kicked them out of their land, he didn't tell them then how long they would be out of their land. If anybody goes to jail, I hope you've never been in jail, but anybody goes to jail and you stand before the judge and he says, Look, you are guilty, you're going to spend time in jail. They will always tell you how much time you're gonna spend there, right? It's called a sentence. Okay. They will let you know of your sentencing, okay? How long? Whether it's 10 years, 15 years, five years, they will let you know how long you're going to stay in jail. Well, God doesn't let them know at that point when they're defeated and taken captive. So they go to Babylon, and they're there serving in Babylon. They don't know for how long they're going to be there. But Daniel, while he's having his private devotion, while he's reading the known word of God at that time, he's going back, and he takes out the scroll called Jeremiah. And he's reading through the scroll of Jeremiah, and he finds the sentence, where their sentence is written. (laughs) God actually gave them the time of their sentencing. He gave them the time of their sentencing even before it even happened. Okay, And he gave it to Jeremiah. Jeremiah records it. He writes it down. So while Daniel is reading the word of God, he's going through his devotional. He goes to the sentence where their sentence is given. And he sees that God has established or God has determined that Jerusalem will lay desolate for 70 years. And if you're cross-referencing this, you can go to Jeremiah 11, I'm sorry, 25, 25:11 and Jeremiah 29, 10. Both of those scriptures will show you what Daniel was actually reading to let him know how long they would stay where they are. God had already given the sentence to Jeremiah that they would be away from their land. Jerusalem will lay desolate for 70 years, okay? Now, you may be thinking, why 70? <laughs> why 70 years? That seems like an abstract number. Is that just out of nowhere? God just pulled that number out of the sky? Why did he determine that Jerusalem will lay barren or desolate for 70 years well it has to do with the law of the Sabbath okay it has to do with the law of the Sabbath we know that the Sabbath means what rest (laughs) the Sabbath means rest the Bible says that God created the heavens and earth in six days and then on the seventh day he did what he rested He rested, and he called that day holy. He says, you shall keep the Sabbath. You too shall rest on the seventh day, okay? You shall do no work on the seventh day. So Sunday through Friday, work all you want. But sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, you are to do absolutely nothing because the last day of the week is the Sabbath day. It is a day of rest. But the Sabbath was not only for the people. The Sabbath was also for the land. The Sabbath was for Jerusalem. The Sabbath's for the land of Canaan, for the promised land as well. God had also established a Sabbath for the land to rest. So just like the last day of the week, the seventh day of the week, the people were to rest... The seventh year, (laughs) the land was supposed to rest. On the seventh year, you were to do no work. You weren't to farm. You weren't to cultivate the ground. You were to do absolutely nothing to the field. You were to let the land rest on the seventh year. So not only do you have a seventh week, you also have a seventh year. You say, well, how will that work? How will they eat? How will they get their food? Well, God said, I will give you double for your trouble, okay? I'm going to give you double for your trouble. If you believe me, if you trust in me, I will multiply your grain, your crops, your harvest, your fruit in the sixth year. You will have so much in the sixth year, it will carry carry you over through the seventh year to the eighth year, <laughs> If you trust me, if you believe me, if you keep my word, if you allow my land to rest, that's what I will do for you. So not only did you have a Sabbath day, you had a Sabbath year. Every seven years, the land was to rest. Well, Israel was in the promised land some 800 years, roughly, and out of Of those 800 years, 490 years, they did not keep the Sabbath. (laughs) They've been in the promised land, the land of Canaan, 800 years, but for 490 years, they did not keep the Sabbath year. They did not let the land rest. They continued to work and to plow and to farm and do all these things. They would not keep the Sabbath year According to God's word, as God has said. Okay, so let me ask you this. I'm going to take y'all back to school. We're going to have some math going on today. All right, so get ready for it. How many Sabbath years are in 490 years? We're going to put it up on the screen for you, so you don't hurt yourself. How how many Sabbath years? Are in 490 years well simple you just take 490 years divided by seven and you get what 70 years in other words the land has missed out on 70 years of rest and if you go back to the command when God had given it the first time he said look my land will get its rest one way or another My land will get its rest either with you or without you. Either with you cooperating and heeding my word or because I have to kick you out. Either way, my land is going to get its rest, okay? Well, Israel chose the latter. Israel said, we're not going to cooperate, we're not going to trust you, we're not going to obey you, we're not going to keep your Sabbath years. So they missed out on 490 years or 70 Sabbaths. So God says, when I allow the king of the north, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to come down and defeat you and take you out of this land, then my land will rest. And the 70 years that it missed out on because you wouldn't obey me, it will get while you're out of the land. And that's why Jeremiah writes, 70 years has been determined for Jerusalem to lay desolate. So while Daniel is reading through Jeremiah, he reads this. He reads that this is what God has determined. So the point or the purpose of their being exiled was twofold. Two reasons why God took them out of the land. One reason was for their chastisement. okay? Because not only were they breaking the Sabbath, they were doing a lot more things. okay? They were practicing idolatry which is spiritual adultery, worshiping other gods. They were doing all the things of the pagans around them. And so for those reasons as well, God takes them out of the land to, land to chasten them, to discipline them. Okay, And the other reason was so that the land could rest. Okay, So now after Daniel reads this in his devotion, what does Daniel do? Well, if you read through it, we don't have time to go through all of it, but Daniel begins to pray, he repents from his own sin and the sin of his people, and he petitions. uh, Daniel begins to pray, Daniel begins to repent, and Daniel begins to petition. Why does Daniel do that? I mean, if it has already been determined that Jerusalem will lay rest for 70 years, and Daniel looks at his clock and checks his calendar and he says wow 70 years is almost up 70 years is almost it's almost time to go well if that's the case why does Daniel feel the need to pray why does Daniel feel the need to repent why does Daniel feel the need to petition God if God said 70 years and the 70 years is almost up well because you don't receive the promise without repentance that's why You do not receive the promise without repentance. So while the land has gotten its rest, the question is, have the people learned their lesson? (laughs) Okay, Has Israel learned their lesson, what got them kicked out of the land to begin with? It's kind of like parole. Again, if you've ever been in jail (laughs) and you've been given a sentence... You may be up for parole, up for release, <laughs> but what will they do before letting you out? They will bring you before the parole board, and what they want to know is, have you been rehabilitated? <laughs> have you learned your lesson? Are you still a threat to yourself or to society? Because if you haven't been rehabilitated, if you haven't learned the lesson, guess what? You stay put. <laughs> You stay in jail. Even though the 70 years has come, the 70 years will come and go if you haven't learned your lesson. So when Daniel reads that 70 years has been determined, the 70 years is almost up. He begins to pray. He begins to fast. He begins to repent because he says, when 70 years come, I want to go home. (laughs) I want to get out of (laughs) here. So he begins to fast and pray and repent. Because if not, what God will do is he will hit pause on the clock. He will hit pause on the clock. And so even though the land got it 70 years, you will remain put. You will remain where you are until my purpose is fulfilled in you. So if the purpose of God was to chasten and discipline his people, if that purpose has not been fulfilled, again, God is not moved by clocks and calendars. You stay put. So what God will simply do is he will hit pause on the time, hit pause on the clock if his purpose still has not been fulfilled. So keeping all of that in mind, we are now going to go to the greatest prophecy of all the Bible because of its pinpoint accuracy. In verse 20 of Daniel chapter 9, the angel Gabriel is now going to come to Daniel. Okay? The angel Gabriel now is going to come to Daniel after he's received these visions to give him understanding of these visions. Notice what he says in Daniel 9:20. Now while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Again, Daniel didn't understand this prophecy. He didn't understand the dream and vision. So the angel Gabriel was sent to Daniel to give him skill or the ability to understand. Verse 23, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And now what Gabriel is going to do is give God's divine timeline. God God is going to now, through the angel Gabriel, going to give Daniel God's divine timeline or the timeline for the end of times, okay? Verse 24. Verse 24 says this. 70 weeks are determined, okay? 70 weeks are determined. But these are not weeks of days. Okay? That's not what this is. 70 weeks are determined, but they're not weeks of days. What are they? They are weeks of years. Go back to the Sabbath year. Okay? Every seventh year was a Sabbath year. Okay? So just like you can have seven days. For a week, you can also have seven years for a week. So when the angel Gabriel says 70 weeks have been determined, he's not talking about seven weeks of days. He is talking about seven weeks of years, okay? Or like, and we'll put it up on the screen for you, he's talking about 70 sevens or 70 uh, periods of sevens or 70 times seven, or 490 years, okay? 70 weeks is the same as saying 490 years have been determined, okay? Does everybody get that? Everybody see that, okay? So 70 weeks is 70 times seven, Or 490 years, the angel Gabriel says, has been determined to be the timeline for the end of times. 490 years, all right? Now, 70 weeks has been determined for who? Okay, well, keep reading. In verse 24, it says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Okay. These 70 weeks or these 490 years, they have been determined for your people, Daniel. Well, who are the people of Daniel? Israel. And for your holy city. Well, what's the holy city? Jerusalem. <laughs> okay. And so prophecy and eschatology, eschatology is just a $10 word, just means end time uh, prophecy. Okay. Okay. Prophecy and end times is all about Israel, okay? (laughs) You need to get that. You need to understand that. It is not about America. (laughs) It is not about anybody else. All of prophecy, all of eschatology, all of end times is all about Israel. Israel is God's cosmic clock, okay? (laughs) Israel is God's cosmic clock. That's why if you want to know what is going on in the end times, keep your eyes on Israel. If you want to know what's going on with the end of times, keep your eyes on the nation, on the city, and on the people. On Israel, on Jerusalem, and on the Jews. Because prophecy is concerning or about them. That's what Gabriel says to Daniel. 490 years or 70 weeks have been determined for your people and for the holy city. Now, determined to do what? What is going to take place or what is going to happen in these 70 weeks or these 490 years? Where he says this, it has been determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression. To make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy. That means to bring an end to it and to anoint the most holy. Okay, those are all the things that will take place, that will happen, that will occur in these 70 weeks or these 490 years. Okay, end of transgressions, end to all sin, reconciliation, everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy. Well, who does that sound like? Who are they describing there? Jesus. Because that is everything Jesus will do. Jesus will end all transgressions. He will end sins. He will reconcile man back to God again. He will fulfill all the prophecy and visions. He will bring in an everlasting righteousness. And he will be anointed most holy or most high. That is all talking about what Jesus will do. And the angel Gabriel says, all this will happen or take place in 70 weeks or 490 years. All these things would happen either before, during, or after the cross of Christ. Okay? 490 years to complete everything before Jesus comes back. 490 years have been determined to complete all of these things before Jesus Christ returns to rule and reign as the king that he is. Now, one of the questions you may have is this. Well, when does this time actually start? (laughs) When does this time actually begin? If it's been uh, 70 weeks or 490 years that have been determined... When does the clock actually start? Okay, we'll go to verse 25. In verse 25 of Daniel 9, angel Gabriel says this, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Daniel hears from Gabriel, look, the land is desolate right now. There's nobody in the land right now because the land is getting its rest, okay? But not only is there no one in the land right now, they are gonna come and they're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're gonna burn it to the ground. They're gonna destroy the the city, the gates, the walls, even the temple, all of it is going to be destroyed, okay? But when the command goes forth to go back to Jerusalem, when the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild its city, rebuild the walls, rebuild the gates, rebuild the temple, when that decree is made, God says, start the clock. You start the 70 weeks then. You start the 490 years right there. Whenever this decree goes forth, and anytime a decree was given, it was recorded, right? <laughs> Whenever a decree by a king was given, it was recorded. So let it be written, so let it be done, right? So that means that we can go back and look to the very date of when that decree was given. That's why you have books like Nehemiah and Ezra, which is what those books are all about. Y'all remember the story of Nehemiah? He is the cupbearer for the king. He hears that Jerusalem has been burned to the ground that it has left desolate, a wasteland and his countenance falls. The king says, what's going on Nehemiah? Why the long face? Why you have a sad look on your face? He says, because of my hometown. The holy city, the city of God, it is burned to the ground. The king says, well, I'll let you go back and rebuild. (laughs) I'll even give you the supplies to go do it. And once that decree goes forth, once that king gives that permission for them to go back in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra to rebuild, God says, start the clock. Start the 70 weeks. Start the 490 years from the command to restore and build Jerusalem. That is when the clock began. But I want you to notice the breakdown that Gabriel gives here. Notice this breakdown. It says in, in verse 25 still. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, Jesus, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Okay? So in other words, the angel Gabriel takes these 70 weeks and he breaks them up into three different periods. Does everybody see the three periods? Let's put it up on the screen. Gabriel takes the 70 weeks (laughs) and he says, you're not going to just have 70 weeks. No, he breaks these 70 weeks up into three different time periods. He says, you first are going to have seven weeks or 49 years. Then you're going to have 62 weeks or 434 years. And you will then have a total of 69 out of the 70 weeks or a total of 483 years. So from the command to rebuild to Messiah coming, Gabriel says there will be a total of 483 years, okay? But what makes this prophecy so great? <laughs> What makes God so good? God is just showing off right now. Okay, let me me show you how much God is showing off. Not only is this broken down to the year, this is broken down to the very day. God is going to break this prophecy down to the very day, okay? How do we know this? Again, decrees are written down, decrees are recorded. So we can go and we can see 483 years would be 173,880 days, okay? So you take the 7 weeks, the 62 weeks, that's 69 weeks. Multiply that by 7 and then multiply that by 360. Because the Jewish calendar only has 360 days, not 365 like our calendar does. So if you take 7 weeks plus 62 weeks, you get 69 weeks. Multiply that by 7 and then multiply that by 360, you get the number of days that is in that prophecy. 173,880 days. So God is saying... From the very time that the decree goes out to rebuild Jerusalem to the time when Jesus Christ comes as Messiah, as king, there will be 173,880 days. That is the breakdown of that particular prophecy. So we now know because it's been recorded that the command to rebuild was given March 14th. 445 BC, okay? It says the month of Nisan. Nisan is March, okay? So, March 14th, 445 BC is when the decree was given and recorded for Nehemiah, Ezra, all those guys to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild. March 14th, 445 BC, okay? Jesus came in his triumphal entry. Riding on a donkey on April 6, 32 A.D. Okay? <laughs> Jesus came in as king, as Messiah. Okay? Riding on a donkey, riding into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, what we're about to celebrate on April 6, 32 A.D. If you count the number of days from March 14th, 445 B.C. to April 6, uh, 32 AD, you get 173,764 days. Now you are not impressed yet, right? So what, that doesn't match? <laughs> that doesn't match? <laughs> but you take what we're about to celebrate this month, all the leap years, All of the leap years that would have taken place in that time period, and there were 116 leap years that were in that time period. So if you take the 173,764 days, add to that the 116 days from the leap years, you get 173,880 days, which means... That Jesus was right on time okay Jesus had a phrase that was repeated throughout the gospel and that phrase that Jesus would repeat was this my time is not yet come <laughs> my time is not Jesus they they ran out of wine <laughs> they ran out of wine what does that have to do with me my time is not yet come <laughs> Whenever he would heal somebody, he said, make sure you don't tell anybody this. Why? My time has not yet come. Do not call me good. Why? My time has not yet come. Oh, but the Bible says in due season, in the fullness of time, when not at any other time he allowed people to make him king. The Bible says after he fed the five thousand, they tried to force him to be king and he rejected that. Why would he reject being king? Because his time had not yet come. Jesus Christ had a prophecy to fulfill. He would not be late and he would not be early for it, but right on time at the 173,880th day, he rides into Jerusalem as the king that he is and says, your Messiah is here. Your king has come. He has fulfilled prophecy. (laughs) That is how good God is. Okay? That is how good God is where he has broken this thing down to the very day. And notice what Gabriel says next in verse 26. In verse 26, Gabriel says this, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. After the 62 weeks... Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Gabriel says the Messiah is going to show up on time. He won't be late. He won't be early. He is going to show up on time. But after he shows up, he is then going to be cut off. And he's going to be cut off not for his sake, not for his wrongdoing, but of course for us. So, at day 173,880, you have Palm Sunday. You have Jesus Christ riding in Jerusalem on a donkey. They're waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Our King is here. He receives that because he's on time. But what happens after Palm Sunday? Good Friday. Good Friday comes after Palm Sunday. Just like Gabriel said it would. After the uh, 62nd week is done, or the total of 69 weeks, Messiah is going to be cut off. But he won't be cut off for himself. And we knew he who knew no sin became sin for us. So he didn't hang on that cross for his sin. He hung on that cross for our sin. So just like Gabriel said, After Palm Sunday, you're going to have Good Friday. After Messiah comes in as the king that he is, he is then going to be cut off, but not for himself. And that's exactly what happens. Now, another question you may have, though. So wait a minute, Pastor. There must be something wrong with your calculations, guys. (laughs) And listen, you're more than welcome to fact check me on this. I pray that you do fact check me, but I didn't come up with this. I didn't find this. People who are a lot smarter than I am (laughs) uh, came up and, and discovered this, okay? But please fact check me if you want. But you may be thinking, well, you say 490 years is what's been determined for all this to take place. 490 years for all this to happen, for Jesus to do away with transgressions and bring an end to sin and bring in everlasting righteousness, that hadn't happened. I mean, you can look at Hollywood and Washington and know that that hadn't happened, right? So so how in the world are you saying that all of this is going to take place in 490 years? It's been so many, many, many more years than 490 years. It's been longer than 490 years. So how can you say that all of this will take place in a span of 490 years? Well, remember what Daniel did after he read the 70 years. What did Daniel do? He prayed. He fasted. He repented. He petitioned his God. Why? Again, because you don't receive the promise Without repentance. Okay. (laughs) You don't receive the promise. Without repentance. So just like in Daniel's day. If the people hadn't repented. If the people didn't get things right. Even though the land has rested 70 days. He's going to hit pause. On the clock. And they will. The 70 days will have come and gone. And they would still be stuck where they are. Until his purpose are fulfilled. Well, the very same thing happens here with the end of days. God fulfills the 69 weeks perfectly. But because Israel, because the Jews rejected their Messiah, meaning they did not repent, what God does is he presses pause on the clock. (laughs) He presses pause. Pause. That's why we see that intermission has been calculated in the 70 weeks. If intermission wasn't calculated, all you would have seen was 70 weeks have been determined. But you don't see that. Gabriel says of these 70 weeks, you will have seven weeks and then 62 weeks, which means there is one more week left. For a total of 70 weeks, you have to have the 70 week or seven weeks and the 62 weeks. That's 69 weeks. That means there is one week to go. One more period of seven years to go. God simply pressed pause on the clock when they rejected their Messiah When Jesus laments over Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. You have missed your moment. You have missed your holy day of visitation. And because of that, God is going to hit pause on the clock because you do not get the promise without repentance. And we have been in intermission ever since. (laughs) We have been in intermission. It's been over 2,000 years that we have been in intermission waiting for the 70th week to begin. Well, what happens during intermission? We're almost done here. What happens during intermission? Verse 26, and the people of the prince who is to come, so this is the Antichrist, But before the Antichrist, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Wait a minute. I thought it was already destroyed. Yes, but remember, it was rebuilt. (laughs) Nehemiah and and Ezra, they went back and they rebuilt it. Well, guess what? The Bible says it's going to be destroyed again. The end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So even though they went to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the city, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple, it will be destroyed again. It will come down again. And that happened, that took place in A.D. 70. In A.D. 70, Rome came in and gutted Jerusalem, burned it to the ground, destroyed the temple. Not one stone was left on the other, just like Jesus Christ said it would And that's why if you go to Jerusalem today, if you go to the Temple Mount, you won't see a temple. What you will see is a wall. And you will see thousands of people who go every day to this wailing wall or this western wall because that's all that they have that was associated or connected with the temple. They no longer have the temple. So the western wall that was behind the temple is all that they have. So they go to that wall to pray. They go to that wall to petition God because that's all that is left. Why? Because just like Gabriel said, just like Jesus said, it happened in AD 70. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple uh, burned to the ground and not one stone left on the other as well. And ever since then, the Jewish nation has been having desolation after desolation after desolation. But on May 14, 1948, Israel becomes a nation again. May 14th of 1948, the impossible takes place. But God said it would happen. He says, I'm going to scatter you because of your sin, but one day I'm going to bring you back again. And that's exactly what happens in May 14th of 1948, just like God said it would happen. That's why I say, if you don't have any other reason to believe in God, if you don't have any other reason to believe in the word of God, Simply because Israel exists, <laughs> simply because Israel is a nation, you should believe in the word of God, because it has happened just like God said it was. Jews came back from all over the world, but not without resistance. The Jewish nation, they have been warned with the Palestinians since they got back even to this day. And that's why the events that you find with Israel are so significant. How can this little bitty nation, this little bitty land, no bigger than New Jersey, always be in the news? (laughs) Always have conflict, always have chaos, always have things going on with it because it is the chosen nation, city, and people. Okay? And so anytime anything happens with Israel, Jerusalem, or the Jews, your ears ought to perk up. (laughs) You know, what's going on here? That's why, you know, say what you will about Trump. And, of course, there's a lot to say about him. <laughs> but one thing that he has done is he has written himself not only in the annals of history, but in the chronicles of the kingdom by his support for Israel, by his moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and by finally recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's city, uh, capital city. He has written himself (laughs) in the annals and the chronicles of the kingdom. That is what you are looking for. Anytime Israel is in the news about anything, your ears ought to perk up because God is up to something. Because all of prophecy, all of eschatology is about a nation called Israel, a people called the Jews, and a city called Jerusalem. Anytime something like that happens, you ought to perk up, okay? That is what's going on here. But what President Trump could not do, (laughs) but he tried to do, and that is what everybody's been trying to do since they got back to their land, and that is bring peace to the Middle East. That's one thing President Trump could, he tried. They came up with a peace plan. It looked really good. Israel said, I'm great with it. They sent it off to Palestinians. They said, no deal. He could not bring peace to the Middle East. Why could he do that? Because that feat is reserved for one person and one person alone, the little horn, (laughs) the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to be the one to do that. So if you're keeping track with all this, you know we have one more week to go, one more seven-year period to go, okay? And what's going to happen? Our last verse, and we'll close here. Verse 27. Then he, who is he? The little horn, the Antichrist. Then he shall confirm a covenant. A covenant is just an agreement with many for how long? One week. This little horn, this Antichrist, is going to be able to do what nobody's been able to do. He's going to confirm a covenant with them for one week. Okay, But this is not a week of days. This is a week of years, so seven-year period. That would be foolish to say, okay, Israel is going to agree to seven days of peace. That's not going to happen. No, this will be seven years of peace. But in the middle of that week, we're talking about Wednesday? No, no, in the middle of the week, talking about three and a half years. On the three and a half year period, in the middle of that week, he, the Antichrist, shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined that is poured out on the les- on the desolate translation when this week begins and it will begin with the signing of this treaty okay just like the 70 weeks began with a decree to rebuild this last week is going to begin with the signing of this seven year peace treaty that's why you always have your ears and eyes open okay whenever they're talking about Uh, peace to the Middle East and somebody trying to bring or broker peace we want to see is it going to happen is it going to happen is it going to happen because as soon as that happens start the clock again as soon as that seven year peace treaty is signed by Israel and Palestine start the clock again start the 70th week again it is going to happen this antichrist this little horn is going to make it happen right now they're fighting about whose land is it Who are the occupiers? What about a two-state solution? You hear a lot of that going on, right? That's what they're talking about. But the little horn is going to do it. He's going to get Israel and Palestine to agree on a seven-year peace treaty. And once that happens, the clock will start up again. And this will be the start of the 70th week of Daniel. Now, there's a whole lot that goes on in that seventh week, so we're going to hit pause right now as well, okay? Because next week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about all the things that happen in this one week. All the things that take place in this last seven-year period. Yes, there will be peace, but guess what? The temple is also going to be rebuilt. Sacrifice are going to resume. He is going to then reveal the beast that he really is. He's going to break this covenant. He's going to end the sacrifice. He's going to claim that he is God. He's going to bring in the abomination that's going to cause desolation. And that is going to start what is known as the great tribulation. All of that we're going to talk about next week. What takes place during the 70th week of Daniel. Okay. So that's what we're going to do next week. Again, in case we are here or in case you are here. okay? you need to know (laughs) what to look for. (laughs) You need to know what's going to take place and what's going to happen. So we're going to show you all of that next week. You know, my wife, of course, she just left. She has to get my daughter to to practice. But she used to be in a lot of plays in high school and in college. Uh, I'd never gone to any plays. I I wasn't cultured that way uh, until I met her and started dating her. But I remember the very first play that I went to to see her in. And right toward about one and a half, maybe two hours, everything abruptly comes to the end and the light comes on. And I go over to her parents like, what's going on? Is that it? That's the play? I said, oh, no, no, no. It's just intermission. (laughs) This is just intermission. Intermission is a time where you get to stretch, you get to relax, you get to go use the restroom, you get to go get some popcorn or something to drink. It is intermission. But it is also a time for the actors to prepare for the final act. They will get the stage ready. They will uh, uh, change the set. They will change costume. The intermission is the time to get ready for that final Curtain call. Well, God says, in the same way, we have been in intermission for over 2,000 years right now. But He is about to make that final curtain call. Right now, He is just getting the stage ready. <laughs> That's why Israel is constantly in the news. That's why all this thing does happen. Why? Because God is placing and positioning people and things together because he is getting the stage set he is getting the stage ready for that final curtain call where the 70th week of Daniel will begin so the question is will you be ready for that call as we said before we don't know if we'll be here we don't know how much of this we will see but whether we're here or not are you ready for that final curtain call are you ready the only way that you can be ready is to be found in Jesus Christ who did all of those things that the angel Gabriel said he would do, do away with sins, in transgressions, reconcile man back to God again, be cut off, not for himself, but for us. It is by putting your trust and your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. That is the only way that we can be prepared and ready for what was, what is, and what is to come. So God has given us these signs. He has given us these warnings. He has given us these things, these road markers of what to look for so that we know we're almost at the end of this thing. The stage is being set. We're almost at the end of this thing. So make the decision while you still can to give your life to Jesus Christ, to be found in him to ask him to forgive you of all of your sin, past, present, and even future, so that you may be cleansed, that you may be reconciled back to the Father and receive the promise. Because again, just like in Daniel's day, and just like Israel discovered, you don't get the promise without repentance. You don't get the promise without repentance. So repent now. That simply just means turn from the way or the direction you're going. Turn to Jesus Christ, the cross in his kingdom. Receive the forgiveness of your sin. Receive his spirit in you. Receive his kingdom so that you may be ready both now and forevermore. If you're making that decision today, we would like to rejoice with you on it. So if you're here today and you've never made that decision to give your life to Jesus Christ, but you're making it today at this time, would you lift your hand and say, that's me, I'm making that decision today. I want to be found in Christ today. Anybody here like that? all no. good. All right. Well, go ahead and stand then if you will, please. Receive the blessing or the benediction of the Lord before we dismiss. And again, like I said, I know we're late in the hour here, but I pray that it is worth your while to know and understand this, okay? I, I pray that that is the case. I may hear it when I get home, but that's okay. I'll, I'll take it for your case, okay, for your sake, okay? Because I believe it is so needed. It is so needed to know and understand these things that are happening literally before our very eyes. People long to see what you and I are able to see, what we're able to experience, what we're able to see what God is doing, how he is orchestrating this, Okay? So, Let's not be so quick to rush out of the presence of God when he is here and he is willing to pour out this revelation and information to us. In Ecclesiastes 3.1, it simply says this, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose purpose under heaven so when we see this we understand that God's got this worked out God's got this worked out to the very day the very millisecond of what's going to happen Well, just like the song that we used to sing growing up he's got the whole world in his hands (laughs) he's got the whole world in his hands he is in full complete and total control of all of this you don't have to fret. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to worry about who's going to win the White House. You don't have to worry about it. Why? Because he's got the whole world in his hands. And he is orchestrating all of this according to his purpose. Will You raise your hands to heaven. Receive the blessing and benediction. Lord, we bless your holy name. And thank you so much for revealing to us the 70 weeks, God, that have been determined for what you will do with mankind before you come back to reign and rule as the king that you are. And now, God, that you've allowed us to hear this, to know it, to to receive it, may we all understand it. And not just for our sake, but as we leave this place, may we go out to let others know what was, what is, and what is to come as well. We thank you for what you've done in this place and what you're about to do as a result of it. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. So we ask that you will be with us from this day forward. We'll give you the praise for everything that comes out of it. We ask all this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ, the King, and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.